everybody, and welcome to our podcast called Connecting Through Commerce, powered by Aramex. Over the next couple weeks, we will be dabbling with some interviews of some business legends. These business legends are either going to be telling us amazing stories, casting visions of the future, and just trying to set the scene for what is no doubt a very, very exciting next couple of years in the world of commerce, e-commerce, and traditional retail, and omni-channel, and all these other things in between. Join us, and I'm sure you will spend the time well. Welcome to our second Aramex podcast, and uh, it's it's a great privilege to follow on from a great speaker in our first episode, John Cherry, with another great speaker, with another really interesting person um, I'm looking forward to chat to, Tim Hogan. So, Tim, you've got a an amazing story of vision and grit, and I mean, we've we've chatted many times before, and I know that you've you've done some really interesting things so far. So we're going to try and unpack that. Uh, but kind of what I've figured from this is you've pioneered outdoor gym equipment, you've become a seasoned negotiator with municipalities, uh, you've learned the ropes dealing with government departments, and you've probably become a sort of bodybuilder with all your testing and R&D and so on. And, and now you've gone and started a scratch-built e-commerce platform, um, which you've got big visions for. So yeah, we'd really like to, I guess, dive into what got you to this point, you know, give us the history and then we can discuss what the future looks like. Firstly, thanks for the introduction. Yeah, and I'll be hypocrite if I say I'm a bodybuilder. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I managed to start to sell stuff without actually knowing how it, how it works. Okay, as you say, my name is Tim Hogan's. Uh, I'm the CEO and chairman of Hogan's Enterprises. Yeah, so we're a diverse company that specialize in manufacturing. There's a German play equipment coming in. Um, landscaping, civil technology, now e-commerce, as you say. But outside the borders of South Africa, we also do pharmaceutical supplies in Mozambique and also got an office in Angola. Uh, this year, I'm celebrating 10 years in business. Yes, wow. it's exactly 10 years Congrats. since the journey started. Thank You've done you. a lot in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But it's been, it's been tough, very rewarding, but tough. Uh, my journey started in 2010. Um, okay, as many of us, I grew up very poor uh, on the outskirts of Johannesburg in Rampantine. It's on the west side, it's a mining town. Yeah. So yeah, uh, when I matriculated, we didn't have a means of doing tertiary. So my first job was a security guard. So I went to a security training college for four weeks, trained as a security guard, but because I always told myself, whatever I do must be done to the best of my ability, I came out as a top student even at the security college. And because of that, I was fortunate to be placed at uh, corporate sites. Because starting with a security guard, you obviously have to start mm. at the rugged sites. Mm. But because I was well represented and also I came out as a top student, they placed me at the corporate site. Every day, as I was opening doors and the gates for these corporate guys, I told myself, listen, this is my life. This is my life. I wanted air-conditioned office. I wanted nice Mercedes-Benz. And that's when I decided, listen, yeah, irrespective of my circumstances, I will someday have this. And while I was working as a security guard, I came across an opportunity to study computer programming via bursary. So I took off my one Saturday at work, and I went to uh, Joburg. There was a place called Lucius Kenny. They specialized in COBOL programming back then. Hmm. I went and I wrote an aptitude test 
and I failed because I'd never had access to uh, computers. The first time, I swear, when I wrote my entry test, the first time I actually switched wow. on a computer. Incredible. Yeah, so while the other guys were running through the test, I was figuring out this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I failed. <laughs> so, Understandably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't feel bad about that. Yeah, and uh, so I went back, worked as security, and I scheduled another appointment. A few weeks later, I got another Saturday off, and I went back. That time, I made sure I passed it, and they accepted me into the program, and that is how my IT career started. So I'm an IT guy by by passion, okay? Yes. And that is why, at this point in time, as Noel rightfully said, um, I'm into the e-commerce space, which is technology-based, but it's because I've always had a passion to be mm. IT. My entrepreneurship, where does it stem from? Poverty. Um, our house was that house in the township where everything was sold. Yeah, chupas, which is ices, yes. cook sisters, chocolates, cake, sweets, whatever it might have been, yeah. we sold it. Awesome. So kids would literally walk past our house, uh, fill up whatever they need, go to school. Were you manning the, the tools? Yeah. You? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was our life. And at sure. that point in time, uh, obviously as a teenager, yeah, it felt embarrassing to be serving your peers. Uh, later on, we had a cafe uh, where we used to sell chips in quarters, in bunny chows, in Gatsby's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in that time, I was around 17, 18. So it, it's at the stage where I wanted to start dating, but I had to work in our store. Yeah. And our shop was where everybody would gather come play snooker and have drinks and chill before they would go to matinee. Matinee is the afternoon nightclub, night, afternoon club back then. <laughs> so all the nice girls would rock up. Afternoon club. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I'm serving guys and rock up with girls that I like. But yeah, I just, yeah, that's yeah. not okay. You could have done something to the food, I guess. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, <clears throat> now looking back, reflecting on that, I realized that's actually what catapulted me into entrepreneurship. Because of that, I've always had a desire to be an entrepreneur because my dad instilled it in me, listen, you have to sell, you're a salesperson. Yeah. And that's why when I was working as an IT specialist, I've always had sideline businesses going mm. to the extent that I got retrenched. Oh, yeah. No. I got fired because I was working at this big IT company in 2010. I've been working with them for about three years. And then I started a technology company on the side where I imported touch screens and interactive surfaces and I would supply your shopping centers with their directional mm -hmm. screens and holograms. Yeah, by the way, I was the first guy to do holograms at Africa. Many, many really? years ago, yeah. It was done between myself, Freak Robinson, his wife, and my then partner. Yeah, we brought that holographic technology to South Africa. But in 2010, around October, I was sorry, sorry, Tim, I'm going to cut you off. Yeah. Where, where do you, where did you get that idea from? I mean, are you just scarring magazines. I mean, 2010, yeah, it's yeah. different to what it is now. Yeah. Very good point. You know what, No, I'm a visionary, and I'm blessed to be ahead of the band at least five years. I've always been ahead of the band at least five years. Uh, many times I would walk into an environment, for example, a restaurant. I remember I was working for CETA, it's a state IT agency. This is like 20 years ago or so. And I came up with the concept of digitizing the, the menus. And I started in, engaging with guys in the U.S. and stuff, but it was just too expensive mm. to import yeah. it. And then literally like 10 years later, they started using it in South Africa. Um, so I've, I'm, I've got this ability to see, like visualize five years ahead of what's going to be the demand, what's going to be the trend. And 
it's good and bad reason mm. being up to now i've got six businesses i haven't had any government funding or support in this regard nor do i have any business partners because of that because i might come up with this crazy idea yeah and some nobody want to touch it they say nothing <laughs> bad. yeah but you must be saying i told you so quite often many times yeah Normally, <laughs> like when i came five years with, from now i'm going to tell you <laughs> i told you so <laughs> even with the outer gyms it came about okay my first company was this it company it got me fired so we did interactive uh, platforms, like I said. Um, they fired me. Okay, they called it retrenchment, but I was the only one that got retrenched. I still remember <laughs> it was <laughs> October 30th, 2010. Sure. So they retrenched me 30 days before I got married. Oh, no. Yeah, and why? Because the guys didn't like my face. They said, yeah, I know you're busy with whatever, so keep your nose clean. Next yeah. week, I got a, a letter. You're all being retrenched or this under review. Guess what term got retrenched. But nonetheless, nobody knew. My wife knew, but we still mm. got married with a blast. What about me? When I work, I work hard. But when I let go, it's just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it was amazing <laughs> wedding. Oh, yeah. amazing. But I still even went on uh, honeymoon. That's why I said I like Cape mm. Town. Came to Cape Town because we love Cape Town. But then January, I decided to work for myself, focusing on my IT mm. company. But previously, in 2008, I came up with the outer gym concept. How? Um, I realized that there's so many open spaces in and around townships, yeah. mining areas, mm. and there's already kids playing there, mm. which is hazardous. And I saw some kids yeah. literally doing workouts yeah, in this space, and I told myself, no, man, there's got to be a better way of doing it. So in 2008, I came up with this concept of outer gyms, but I was still permanently employed at that point in time. But when I got retrenched and I was working in my own business, I had time to further that concept. Mm. And it just yeah catapulted me. Must tell you, the outer gyms actually enabled me to explore other businesses. Within the first year, with a three million in turnover, we just catapulted it. So, so describe describe an outdoor gym. I mean, for for people who are listening who haven't seen it, I, I've driven past yeah. one or two now, and I know ah, it's Tim's. Yeah, an outdoor gym is basically a facility made out of mostly steel equipment. It, so the machinery is based on exactly the same concept as your indoor gyms. Mm. So whatever you get indoors, you get outdoors. But the difference is outdoors, first is weather resistant. Secondly, it doesn't require electricity. Yeah. It is designed in such a way that make use of your own body weight. Yeah. So that enabled us to install it in the most rural and remote areas. Yeah, to date we've done about 3,500 installations cool. across Africa. Across uh, Africa, so how far up Africa? I mean, we, we've got an outer gym in Saudi Arabia. In wow. Dubai, so yeah. There's nice. our but up in Africa, on my way here, when I switch on my phone now, my assistant told me there's a huge opportunity now in Mauritius even. They want to do quite a number of sites. So it's been a roaring success. Obviously, some other guys came to the space from, mm. uh, from a competition perspective, but I've been able to maneuver around over these years in that space. But my business is much more than outer gyms now because... As an outer German play equipment supplier back then, I got involved in large projects. And then I thought to myself, why should I just supply gyms? Mm. Why can't I do the whole thing? So over these years, I developed into a um, construction company, a registered Sedgwick construction company. We level 7 CE, so we can build roads, hospitals, whatever it might be. And also 7 SH, which is your landscaping. So I can go as far as building stadiums and doing landscaping. Yeah, so it's been a very rolling success. It's been a very interesting journey, but also very challenging because obviously government is my main uh, 
client. Yeah. And the change of God in government always comes with its own challenges. So as you build a network, the network changes. Exactly, and, yeah. yeah. So, but in the most difficult, the most difficult problems to deal with is Cape Town. Ah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no, truly. No, Cape Town is a beast on its own. It's either they like you or they don't like you. It's as simple as that. And, and, and I mean, okay, so the flip side of that, the rest of the country loves you, right? Mm. Because you're, I guess you're doing great things for, for, for previously unserviced areas or, you know, yeah. you spot empty spaces. There wasn't a play park. I mean, I guess growing up in, in privileged suburbs, there was always some park somewhere. It wasn't exactly. maybe well-maintained or looked after, but there was a jungle gym or there was a... So I suppose you, you, you're winning people over by doing something that's obviously good. It's yeah. just a good thing to do. Yeah, my philosophy in life is, okay, I started off in business because I wanted to improve my life, but mm. those around me as well. Mm. That's why everything I do has a CSI element and upliftment element to it. Um, the outer gyms, for example, every outer gym or 90% of them are installed in your rural areas, underdeveloped areas, because I wanted to bring that same experience to people who can't mm. afford your commercial gyms. Yeah. Out of green outer gyms, I started going into recreational spaces. By that I mean I own in total four rec- lifestyle parks. A lifestyle park consists of swimming pools, blind climbing walls. It's like a picnic sport, but I call yeah. it steroids. So mm. there's workouts to be done, there's zip lines, there's swimming pools. So if it's not a recreational or picnic sport on weekends, during the week, people still do um, excursions, team buildings, yes. some people train as well. So I've got three of these lifestyle parks, and I've got this one big water park, like Sunset, it's called Happy Island. It's based in Joburg, close yeah. to in Syria. Um, what I'm trying to get at is that even my lifestyle parks in my water park is in close proximity of townships or your less privileged. Reason being, I grew up in poverty, so I always told myself, whatever I do must be beneficial mm. to the less privileged. Mm. So even though it's a business, but at the same time, it must tick off that one box of plus It should uplift, it should employ, it should empower. Otherwise, I don't do it. Sure. The lifestyle park idea and the word park idea is based on two things. How it came about was, number one, as a kid, I remember there was one incident um, in our township where I grew up. There was this old lady. She used to be a teacher. So on Sundays, she would gather people and get buses and take people to Sun City. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, every Sunday. Now, I wasn't fortunate enough to be able to go with, so, because I was a kid that would deliver cook sisters in the vicinity where the mm. buses were. So I remember this one Sunday, I um, was delivering cook sisters to one of our clients near that stop where the buses were gathered. And I once told myself, one day, I'm going to own a Sun City. You know, as a yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. I told myself, one day I'm going to own a Sun City, or, a Sun City or similar. And so I've always had a desire mm. since then to own facilities like that. Because to be honest with you, I only went to Sun City as an adult. Mm. I couldn't afford prior to that. So secondly, why I'm also in the recreational spaces is green outer gyms expanded way beyond outer gym equipment. So we started going into surfacing, rubber matting, mm. mm. play equipment, zip lines, uh, water parks, spray parks. And I, I mean, needed- Are you manufacturing all of that? Yes, sir. So you've created all the, the supply chain yourself? Yeah. I've got this ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. So we manufacture, we supply, we maintain, we service, we do. Once we own it, we do events, team building. This Amazing. Well. Sure. Yeah. So I needed a showroom. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, fine. I always wanted to build these facilities, 
but at the same time, I needed a showroom. Mm-hmm. So that is when the lifestyle parks came about. The big water park, how that one came about is when I started over the outer gyms, I needed, manufa- I couldn't manufacture it locally. Uh, so I actually started engaging some guys in the UK and they referred me to a factory in China. I said, no, there's a guy in China and we know he can assist you. So for a few years, I was importing outer gym equipment from a Chinese guy who is now my friend. And then in 2015, he was so impressed with the volumes of equipment that I was importing mm-hmm. that he came to South Africa. And when he saw my smaller parks, he said, no, let's just go big and build a water mm-hmm. park. So that's why Happy Island came about. 34 hectares, about Jeez. 300 million rand project. So, yeah, unfortunately, we launched on the 1st of January 2019, yeah. Yeah. operating for one year and COVID came. Yeah. I was about Probably to ask. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was on the, on the highway. I, I was about to ask, I mean, the, 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 there are two questions, I guess, in terms of the use of these outdoor gyms now. COVID, mm-hmm. touching, you know, the, has that been a kind of, has there been a pullback from people feeling comfortable in the gym space? But the second one, I guess, is sort of a safety question, but also just a, um, a respect for it. Mm-hmm. I, I presume they actually get looked after quite nicely, not by you, but by the communities they're in. Very, that very, yeah. To respond your letter, question is, the community surprisingly took ownership of these gyms mm. since we started installing mm. it. I've had an incident many years ago in Soweto where they actually whooped the guy who tried to steal it. Yeah, because they took ownership. They, they, yeah, they realized, let's see, this is to our benefit, it's mm. ours. There were old people at first that would go in and clean and sanitize, even long before COVID, mm. before they would use yeah. it. There's groups even still of elderly people within the mornings walk to the gym, do what they have to, clean it and go. Sure. Yeah, so it's been a rolling success because the community took ownership of it. Yeah. Green outer gyms or outer gyms is a concept done so well many years ago that it got included in the National Development Plan. Wow. So if you read the country's National Development Plan, they include outer gyms where they say every community or every municipality should have at least have one outer gym. Sure. Because of benefits go with it. On your first question around how COVID affected outer gyms, from a manufacturing perspective, yeah, we saw a decline, obviously, because we had to shut down, mm. some because we were not level okay, level three or five, mm. but anyway, we had to shut down for a bit. So there was a, a complete stance on the manufacturing perspective. However, I believe as an entrepreneur, you reach a point where you must make certain decisions. Either you reinvent or you adapt or you just cut your losses. Those mm. are mm. some philosophies I love, principles I love by. Mm. You reinvent, adapt, or you cut your losses. So when we went to the drawing board, I thought to myself from an outer gym perspective, how do I save my business without laying off people? Yeah, before I proceed, yeah, I was able to keep all my staff during sure. COVID full salary plus bonuses in December. Yeah, yeah because I took this approach and I said, what do I have? I've got outer gyms out there. So I called my clients. And they told them, listen, firstly, COVID doesn't thrive outdoors, so just forget about mm. panicking. Uh, indoors, that's why indoor gyms close down. The outdoor gyms are safe in that regard. They agreed to me. But then there was an issue around sanitizing. So what I did was, there's a company in the, U- in the U.S. that I approached. They've got a film that you can apply to your surfaces, steel, plastic, whatever it may be. It's been proven to actually eliminate the COVID virus. Mm. So I got licenses for that. Yeah, so is it a spray on or is it a? I mean, it's a film. You apply. Yeah. You put it on. Okay. Yeah. So then, as of last year, I was able to apply the film to some of my equipment, 
And so that's why my uh, sales just continued right through even COVID. So yeah, so I guess in that regard, I just decided, let's, you know, let me see what I can do. In that case, I just do a depth by applying those film and I just continued selling. So Green Outer Gems, I, yeah, at this point in time, we're stable. Yeah, I must say stable. We haven't seen a huge increase in demand, but we're stable, we're able mm. to service our existing clients. And the last two months or so, I've noticed there's new opportunities coming out in that space, yeah. especially up in Africa. So we export in quite a number of equipment to Africa now. That's awesome. Sure. You know what I love about your business model is, so I'm I'm also from Joburg, and no offense, Noel, but being in Cape Town, you have mm. mountains and beaches yep. and sea yeah. and stuff. And so we for you, a, that, water, yes. a, yeah. <laughs> a water park might sound like wild jeepers. Like, why wouldn't you just go to the beach? Well, we don't have a beach. And that's why like <laughs> Sun City and yeah. water parks and things, it's, it is such an attraction yeah. for people that, that live, you know, inland. And, you know, we have the best weather Agreed, in, uh, in Joburg. Yeah. And to be able to I go agree with that. <laughs> and spend a beautiful, warm, even winter's day sometimes mm, yeah. um, at a water park and have fun and be able to take your kids mm. and do activities and be outdoors. Because just because we're in Joburg doesn't mean we don't love the outdoors. Agreed. Um, Agreed. But it, it really is a model like that. Like, mm. I remember growing up, if you were invited to the birthday parties that went to... The warm bars or the sun cities yeah. or the whatever the yeah. case is that you were you were you don't miss it you're yeah. you the angry first <laughs> it didn't matter if it was your mom's birthday <laughs> you went. yeah sure I, I mean tim it's just such a it's such an amazing story and and i guess what's great about it is, is it's allowed you to play and experiment mm -hmm. and so you know obviously i got to know you more around black market which is yeah. which i i'd like you to explain but I mean, it's such a privilege to be able to say, right, this is good. I'm happy with this. Now this is what I actually really love doing yep. and, and get to pioneer things. So tell us about Black Market. I mean, this is a, <clears throat> yeah. it's a big platform that's been many <laughs> years in the making. Yeah. And I have to go back to what I said earlier. I'm always four or five years ahead of the band. In 26, when I came up with this concept of Black Market, I want to create a marketplace that's all-inclusive. Mm. formal, informal, black, white, rich, poor. Because I'm of the opinion that every vendor deserves being online. Every vendor deserves being big. And the only way to be big is to be online because you're invisible. Yeah. So I approached, I've got an IT company, so I sat down with my developers and I told them, I need a platform that will attract your established businesses but also your informal traders. But then the concern came up. Okay, but informal traders, how do you accommodate them? Mm. So that's when I came up with the concept of, firstly, we should have a tool or means of onboarding the informal traders. And not only onboarding, but assist them in growing from, I call it graduating from informal to SME, then you graduate, yeah. then establish. Mm. So we need somebody to see through the entire ecosystem. And that's where our Shop Assistant Program started. The Shop Assistant Program is to literally take more literate people, graduates, or unemployed people lose jobs. People lose their jobs, but it's computer literate. They would literally go out, air salespeople slash shop assistants, approach informal traders or SMEs or mm. the terms who want to be online, but I'm just too busy. Yeah, and they will create the store, manage it, load product, and for every product that's sold, they get recognition, they get commission. So by doing that, we're able to create jobs, but also empower. Mm. the ones informal trader because like I say I believe in them going through the whole cycle from informal SMEs then established so in 2016 I came up with this concept we started working on it but then 
it dawned on me that, listen, yeah, the informal traders don't necessarily have capital. They don't have means of carrying stock. But at the same time, there's this um, notation that black people don't deliver. Yeah, yeah it is that, listen, yeah, I'm not going to buy from a black-owned store because it's not going to deliver, which is true and also not true. True in the fact that many times informal traders who happen to be majority black, they will agree to a deal for the sake of getting the deal. Mm. But they don't necessarily have the means or capital to deliver on it. So that's why they fail and they get labeled, yeah, you guys don't deliver. Sure. Yeah. But on the other end also, you get buyers who might order something and would willfully cancel the order at the end of the day. Mm. And that in that process, eliminate or just destroy that informal trader. So he came up with this whole ecosystem and platform that protects the buyer and the seller. Mm. Yeah, it works on the escrow concept, but normal escrow requires, if you want to do something in escrow, you have to involve lawyers. Yeah, so you have to agree on the bottle, the color, the size, the price, the money gets moved to an attorney, it takes a few days, mm. the transaction happens, the attorney takes his share of the money, and then you get paid. But you can't do go through the process if you want to push numbers, volumes. Mm. So that's when I decided there's a new thing called blockchain because I'm a technology guy, like I said. So I started studying blockchain and how I can apply in this uh, mm. environment. So we then decided to develop an e-commerce slash marketplace on a blockchain platform. So it comes with endless advantages of which speed, reliability, and security are the main features in this regard. So pause. Mm. Quickly explain blockchain. Blockchain, in its simplest form, like I will tell people, is a set of technology rules. It's a stack of rules. They determine how something is executed. Yes. Yeah, it's done. It's called a um, smart contract. And a smart contract, in its simplest form, is if you go onto a platform and decide you want a red car with four seats and two wheels, and Tim clicks on it, buy. Terms and green that listen, we have a contract in place. You're going to give me a car, red, that doesn't, doesn't. Do. So, a, a smart contract can be interpreted in different forms, but the simplest way to say a blockchain operates on smart contracts, and that the contract is agreement, the terms between people. It could be terms stipulated in a tender. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, of course, blockchain can be applied in financial sectors, construction, mm. on how building is done, yeah. the trenches in which payment will be done based on a smart contract. So, now, it is the most secure and most advanced transactional platform in the world. Your Bitcoins, your Dogecoins, yeah. all these cryptocurrencies run on blockchain. Mm -hmm. Nobody can penetrate a blockchain. Nobody can. So if the terms have been agreed upon, it is what it is. Nobody's going to say, okay, but Noel is my friend. Let's tweak the tender document in the end. You, you just can't. cannot do it. You yeah. cannot yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. So how do I apply blockchain in black market? We're using it for the escrow at this point in time. I have to repeat, at this point in time, we're using it for the escrow functionality and logistics functionality. The escrow, how it would work is, you also go to the normal process of selecting a product or a service. Okay, yeah, very importantly, bearing in mind that we accommodating informal traders and startups, a black market offers products as well as services. Because many people, many informal traders, their product are their hands, their services, again, plumbers, cleaners, etc. So we've got products and services on the platform. So how do it work is you as a buyer or user will still go onto the platform as per usual, scroll, category, select what you want, and you check out. Upon checkout, when you pay, there's not an additional step you have to take. Because people, when they hear crypto, when they hear blockchain, 
the impression that you have to now stop the process, yeah. go somewhere, procure mm. tokens, blah, blah, blah. Mm. It doesn't work like that. Tokens. You just click pay and the money moves from your account onto a F&B account that sits on a blockchain where the rules have been specified based on your selection of the product or yeah. your service. The seller immediately gets notification that seller senior, Mr. Buyer, pay 10 rand for your service. So at this point in time, mm. if you don't have a product, you can start manufacturing because you've already stipulated on your store that listen is going to take 10 day delivery or whatever it may be. So if you don't have a product ready, you can start manufacturing or source it from wherever in that time period. Or if you have it ready, you can already ship it. Mm. Only upon delivery, when the buyer receives the product and they're happy with it, the system releases the money. So the buyer can either click pay or within 24 hours, the system will assume listen, yeah, the buyer is happy with the product and the money gets paid. By doing that, we're eliminating uh, scams completely. I think we're the only platform that mm. can guarantee 100% uh, payback yeah. without warehousing. I'm dropping the warehousing discussion because black market is by far the cheapest e-commerce marketplace in South Africa at this point in time because we don't do warehousing. Yeah. Mm. The other guys do warehousing. So for those who don't know how, it's not familiar with e-commerce, how it works is if you want to sell on one of these big boys, you have to literally go to two-week registration process, etc. ship your product to their warehouse. Once it's there, they list it, they sell it on your behalf. Now, in order to do that, you need capital to carry stock, mm. yes. dead stock. Now, with us, because we don't do warehousing, and we can only do that due to our blockchain, our entire process, you can be set up on black market within one day and start trading. Mm. And you don't need extra capital to yes. ship um, stock somewhere and let it lay dormant for a while. So the black market was designed on three objectives. Number one, everything must be big and go online. Number two, it should create thousands of jobs to address our job um, unemployment issues in South Africa. And, and that would, that's what you're doing with the shop assistant shop, program. Yeah. That, that's your onboarding team. Correct. Who are all commission paid. Yeah. yeah. So we're creating thousands of jobs in that mm. regard. And third, like I said, we're empowering. Yeah. Um, we can literally take a guy that was selling next to the street and get him on board. Yes. And after a few months, that guy can be registered as an SME. And then afterwards, that guy can be registered as a normal formal trader. So the three principles or objectives of black market is everybody must be big by going online. We have to create thousands of jobs in the process and we have to empower in the process. Mm -hmm. Because we've got this huge township economy that's worth 100 billion rand plus. But What's currently happening in your informal sector is, I call it a leaking bucket concept. Yeah, mm. the money comes in and just flows out. Mm. There's no way of securing to make it circulate. Yes. And so now with black market, we're not hoping, we know we're gonna be able to plug those holes, make sure the money circulate Safe, and yeah. in the process empower people. And business. Because there, there really are, there's so many amazing things out there that you want to buy and you but sometimes you you just mm. don't know how to get your hands on it or where to do it or how to sell it for that matter mm. you've got something that that you've done really well and and i mean you we were touching on it in the in the previous podcast this idea of there was traditional trade and, and yeah. retail and e-commerce and everything else and i think there's definitely you know five years ago mm. you imagined <laughs> that yeah. there would probably be an increase in in bartering and and trading between people peer-to-peer -peer kind of Agreed, commerce yeah. which i guess facebook marketplace mm -hmm. and you know gumtree they've been doing it for a while but always with that risk so 
your product solves the risk issue. I agree with you. Uh, yeah. Black market accommodates form in informal in startups. Um, so when you go to our platform, we're now introducing a classified section as well. Mm. So we want to accommodate the guys that sell on these existing Amazon and stuff. Because mm. we don't want to be classified as a platform aimed at informal in startups. We're an yeah. all-inclusive platform. So what we're doing is also keeping in mind that not everybody wants to own a store. Yeah, I might wake up one day and see this bicycle I have in my garage. I'm going to sell it. Never sell a bike. Don't sell yeah. a bike. Sell <laughs> something else. If you live in Cape Town, you don't. Then Joe will be buying you over. <laughs> to Cape Townians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to be. I want people to be in a position to get up and say, I want to list this bike quickly and yeah. sell it by the classified. But also in reality. Most scams and corruption happens on your classified. Yeah. 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 So now black market even addresses that and accommodates those people want to do once off sale quickly. But apart from that, we've got a section where you can list your store, get a proper store to compete and offer your product globally. Yeah. And then we also have our more informal guys that gets onboarded via the shop assistant program. Um, another thing to note about black market is also something i've got like i say development empowerment and employment very close to my heart so there's a group of guys close to my house that i've been engaging for about two or three years now these guys specialize in sculptures wow. yeah so i actually monitored a few of the life cycle of some of their sculptures i would tell them yeah send me pictures of the sculpture let me monitor where this thing goes i'm telling you Guys might sell a sculpture for 500 rand, but when it gets online, that thing is 5,000 rand. Yeah. Yeah. And it runs out, the yeah. store. So meaning somebody between them and online made the money. Yeah, makes, yeah. I mean, a thousand more markup. So my thing is, why can't the guy who owns the skill, why can't he earn his 5,000 rand? Yeah. So now black market is also aimed at closing that gap. Mm. Yeah, but in the process of closing them, we're empowering that person, but in between there's an agent, the shop assistant, so we're creating jobs as well. But overall, we give, bring that peace of mind that listen, your money is safe, you'll get your product. If you're unhappy, the product will go back. But we're also protecting the seller. Yeah. We're also protecting the So seller. your shop assistant is the bridge between the guy who doesn't have internet, doesn't have connectivity. He's sitting there chipping away at his stone or wood or whatever it is. Right. The shop assistant's bringing him, putting him online and then facilitating it. So if an order gets placed for one of those sculptures, he's going and getting it am i right and, and kind of and going through the fulfillment side of it because i mean yeah. that's obviously another big aspect of this is how do you connect from a to b and i know yeah. the answer but yeah. but what were your thoughts in terms of what you needed to do to actually fulfill the, yeah. this process and like rightfully said our shop assistant yeah plays that role so we actually have formal training for these shop assistants we regard them as our gatekeepers, but also salespeople. Because mm. if you know you're going to get recognition, commission for any number of stores you create, and on top of that, also every product gets sold, they will actively go out there and harvest what's already existent. And I say what's already existent is we've got, I just read an article out of there, we've got about 170,000 informal traders in this country. And that's an outdated um, article. Yeah. And all those people are already getting up daily, mm. crafting, creating. Mm. So we're not reinventing a market. We're just taking that market or that industry and formalizing it. And in the process, we're doing it in such a way that people who shop on Amazon, I like referring to them because they're global, they can't sue me here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people is already selling there. Uh, yeah, 
can also find and will find black market appealing as well because um like i said earlier i don't want to be regarded as a platform that only accommodates informal traders but at the same time i've got an african a pan-african strategy our focus is taking black market into africa next week uh, i'm a keynote speaker at uh, isaka it's south africa's mm. largest e-commerce uh, convention yeah i got invited 48 hours ago or so oh cool yeah i i learned about it so i contacted them and the guy with an edge said now nah, we fool you must get in queue for next year and then so okay, it's fine but at least go check out my platform did you just say to me do you know who i am <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you and they came back and said okay we make space you come speak to us because <laughs> they That's so cool. Yeah. That's going to be such an awesome feeling to be like that. Like, just, just go check. Yeah. Check my platform yeah. and then Here's come back. Here's my business card. Yeah. 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 No, the issue here is big businesses don't know how to access informal traders. Yes. Everybody, yeah, Seventy percent of all trade that happens in South Africa are informal trade. So now big business. I mean, these guys are churning billions. Without, they're just operating on a thirty percent. So they all wish to penetrate the township or the informal trade rather, and they don't know how to do it. And our black market knows how to do it. And we, I'm not being arrogant here. Even if they want to jump on the blockchain wagon now, it's going to take them five years or so. To develop platforms capable of doing what we're already doing. Yeah. So I think I got his attention, the event organizer, because he probably went and spoke to his guy and said, "Listen, yeah, this is Tim." And they said, "Listen, yeah, we need access in that regard." So it felt good when they called me back and said, "Listen, yeah, we'll make space for you. Please come." And apart from that, on an African strategy, uh, later this month I'm going to Ghana as well. Uh, Africa is divided into three sections. You get Sadek mm-hmm. and Yuseku. In between, you get Comesa, and then you get Ekowaz, is your Nigerian mm-hmm. market yeah. So I was invited to go to speak at another e-commerce plat- uh, convention rather for the Ekowaz region, and then I was in a conference yesterday with the Seco region, the countries of South Africa, Seco slash Serec, and I'm just waiting for my opportunity for Comesa. So hopefully, not hopefully, our intention is by next year January to go up into Africa with black market yeah. but there's a key element a very very key element i can have all these big dreams and technology in place in shop assistance but a very key component to my bigger vision is logistics mm-hmm. and i have to and i'm yeah i can openly say i'm so chuffed with with aeromax in the sense that uh they they got me first time around they saw my vision first time around mm-hmm. and what i appreciate about aeromax is their willingness to actually create APIs and build a strategy that's conducive enough for me to bring these informal traders on board. And right now we've got that uh, agreement in place by Aramex with Postnet. And that is actually a deal maker in this regard because obviously fees are ridiculously low, but black market is a peace of mind platform, is a peace of mind experience. Yeah. I want to know that let's say if I order something from Noel today and it goes via post and I'm going to get my parcel. At this point in time, we've got another pandemic, which is robberies. Mm. Yeah, yeah. These vehicles, yeah. Mm. So 
black market is the most secure place from even from a logistic perspective. We can guarantee that you will get your parcel. It will be dropped off at Postnet. You will go collect it next day. Mm. Yeah, when the, you know me saying when, not if when the need arise, we will look at door to door as well, but in a more secure way. But I need to repeat that black market so far has been well received purely because we have that logistics offering. Mm. And it's only possible because of Aramex. Yeah. But since I started engaging with Aramex, um, I must say from a professional perspective, from a system perspective, but most impressive was the development of the APIs to actually make all this thing happen. Isn't I realized I've got a partner that I can go global with? Yeah. Because Black Market's vision is Africa for now. Yeah. Once we've got South Africa done, we're going to create African stores on our South African platform for people who want to export from South Africa. Because on a daily basis, there's loads of trucks running in between our neighboring countries. Yeah. But I've engaged some guys, especially ladies, they're mm. being exploited. They say they pay the truck driver to get the maize in Joburg. Mm. But then somehow along the way, he just gets lost. And he just says the cops oh, took it. So now, black market would even accommodate those for now. Mm. Yeah. And once we've covered South Africa and those African stores, we're going pan-African. And once you've done that, you represent Africa to the world. The same way Amazon done with Americans, the same mm. way the Chinese done with Alibaba, we're going to present Africa to the world in a secure, reliable manner. Because nobody understands Africa the way we understand Africa. It's like goosebumps moment. I'm getting that happy feeling again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good.